Welcome to the second episode of Be A Bigger Fish. This is a podcast that explores the power of podcasting to grow your business or your community. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm the host of this podcast. I was truly grateful to get the chance to speak to my second guest, Joe Milmine. Jo is an award-winning podcaster and her podcast Shiny Bees has been in production for over six years. I've actually heard Jo interviewed on the podcasts I listen to, so I was really happy to get the opportunity to speak with her. Jo's story is all about creating and finding connection, first through listening to podcasts herself and then through making them. She's clearly got a gift for communicating and for building a supportive community. And if your topic is fairly niche, you'll love listening to Joe's advice. So let's get into the podcast conversation. Well, I'm really delighted to be speaking to Joe Milmine today. Um, hi, Joe. Hello. How are you, Debbie? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm awesome, thank you. Oh, brilliant. Um, well, Joe runs the multi-award winning podcast Shiny Bees, which is all about knitting, comedy and yarn. Um, and that podcast has been running since 2012. And Joe has also grown a really strong community around the podcast. So I'm really interested to find out a little bit more about that from Joe. So, um, Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? Um, so, as, as you said, I'm Joe Milmine and I've been recording the shiny bees podcast for six years now mm. which is pretty much forever on the internet but it's definitely forever <laughs> in the podcasting world for sure and i used to be in the royal air force i was an aerospace battle manager mm. which involved bossing aircrew around a lot and managing the safety of the skies over the uk and telling fast jet aircrew where to go what to do and to let them fight without getting in anybody else's way basically Wow. And that was a really cool job. It involved talking on radios a lot. And when I left that job, I moved with my husband to South Africa. And I'd got back into knitting once I was um, pregnant. It's a bit of a cliche, but it happens. I learned to knit when I was six uh, from my granny. And my granny oh. was Scottish and amazing, as all Scottish grannies are. She was not unlike super gran if you remember super gran debbie from yes. when you were younger um who was a complete ninja she taught me to <laughs> and um her pet name for me was shiny bees like she would call her, lots of her grandchildren but um me in particular i spent a lot of time there when i was younger and she would call me shiny bees as a pet name so that's where the shiny bees part came from that's lovely. What yeah, lovely I just feel like um, she'd be loving that. It'd be all this internet trickery because she didn't really believe in foreign food. She thought a Chinese takeaway was foreign food. She was really old school, <laughs> but amazing. Um, and the funny thing was, was this guy was second generation Chinese. He ran the chippy. He was a full on scouser. I was like, oh, <laughs> like, grannies, he's a scouser. He's not Chinese really. No, he's both. <laughs> um, I went to South Africa and I'd got back into knitting whilst I was in... Um, Anglesey of all places oh, yeah. and I moved to this really hot place and nobody knitted because it was too hot for knitwear 
Um, and I just miss those connections, those conversations that I was having with people. And I started a blog a year earlier and I'd been listening to podcasts whilst I was making stuff myself. Um, Cause I needed yeah. to, still at that point needed to concentrate on what I was doing with the knitting and look at it. So I couldn't watch TV cause I had to look and count. Um, and I'd met these other knitting podcasters and I thought, you know what? I could do that. Like loads of really cool stuff happens here. And I could tell these stories and I could talk about what I'm knitting. And through that, I could meet lots of other knitters yeah. because there aren't any locally to where I am now. And that's, that's literally how it started. It was a dare as part of Knitting and Crochet Blog Week from a podcaster that I've met called Martine, who I then became friends with. And it was one of those, you should totally do that. I was like, right, I'll do that. And um, my husband ordered me this microphone that took two weeks to arrive from Cape Town because they don't have Amazon <laughs> um, or, or even really reliable uh, courier system there and that and literally that was it I recorded some stuff he edited it for me because I couldn't use GarageBand and I just put it on the internet and yeah. that was how it all started brilliant I really love that you started your podcast as a dare that's fantastic <laughs> <It's> <laughs> all right and I, I also know how hard it is to get technology um, when you're living in different countries I lived in in Cairo for a while and oh, yeah it's wow. it's so hard to get technology into the country if you know if it's mm -hmm. not from there indigenously so yeah oh that's amazing what a, what a story so when you first started up there you just had um, a microphone and editing on, on GarageBand and um, what were you hoping that your podcast would achieve? Um, it really, I didn't have any expectations. It wasn't a strategic move to support a business. It wasn't trying to get me out there in a kind of MySpace, sign me up as a band, sign me up as a radio star thing. <laughs> it, it literally was, I reckon I could do that. That looks like it's a good laugh. And I enjoy these people that come into my, my, my bungalow in rural Limpopo because there were warthogs eating the grass on my lawn I had this enormous green boomslang snake that lived in my garage mm. and then there were these people from the UK that were like there with me when I was doing things around the house or whatever I didn't feel as kind of isolated because obviously I am British um, and people in South Africa they do speak English it's one of the 11 languages but we were in a really rural northern place, close to the border with Zimbabwe. There weren't mm. um, that there were no English people really, um, and so it was it was kind of a way of bringing them in. And yeah. I thought, well, I can share some of this back out again. And and it was literally just a, I like making stuff. I like trying stuff. Let's just try it and and put it on on the internet and see what happens. It was quite hard work because we had a wide area network for our internet because we're in rural Limpopo and they don't have, they certainly don't have broadband, right? <laughs> so it was, we'd had this enormous, big, jolly Afrikaans guy called Hendrik who'd come to install our Wi-Fi that we could only buy by the two gig. And it was about 20 quid for two gig. And it was a microwave network. So I was recording my podcast and then sending it through an aerial on my roof to a massive aerial on a mountain 30k away. Yeah. On top of the South Hansberg Mountains. So when it rained, couldn't upload anything because I'm like, it's just the, the networks don't can't do it. So it was oh. really one of those things where there were loads of reasons why it shouldn't really have happened and shouldn't have worked because you can only knit so much when it's 30 degrees all year round. Yeah. But it just kind of did. It was really organic. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And that kind of determination to keep it going against those sorts of odds must have, you know, made, made you a really strong podcaster from the start, I guess. So. Yeah. I mean, if you listen to the first kind of seven or eight when I was there, I could only podcast so often because it was really expensive to upload. And the quality of the audio is much lower because I could only expand it at a certain bit rate because I had to upload it via this network. And I've talked with people since about changing that and I still got the old files. I could put it on a higher res, but I just think that kind of spoils the story. Like that's how it was and I want to keep it how it was. So yeah, yeah, first you do sound ropey. <laughs> oh, but it is, it's a real, you know, it's a proper audio record of that time and that place. So yeah, mm-hmm. I imagine that's really valuable. So when you first started sharing your thoughts in a podcast, did it make you feel vulnerable? Um, that's a really interesting question. No more than blogging. I think blogging, well, because I blogged first and I'd share, done that thing where you kind of share it with everyone and your yeah. mom. I didn't share it with my mom because she wasn't on Facebook. She's still not on Facebook, but you'd done that whole, okay, so I used to be in the military and now I talk about knitting, guys. Yay! Thing. So it wasn't wasn't so much of a thing. Um, and I've never really worried about how I come across as part of that and I do share a lot of stories where basically I've been a completely ineffectual parent and uh, things have happened or you know fun just funny stories and I am quite happy to laugh at myself a lot because I think it's you have to right (laughs) otherwise yeah Yeah. and I find that because I share quite a lot of my personality and I don't kind of hold back and try and be professional or anything because I never had to be I wasn't the face of my business with this podcast it was just me sharing what was going on with the world. I never worried about whether that reflected well or not. And I found that actually that's been a really powerful way to connect with people and to have them come to you and really feel like they know you and and they will come and ask about your dogs and they'll ask me about this and they'll tell me about something similar that happened to them. And it's a real leveler. And I feel like that has been a really strong way of growing community for my audience. Yeah, I I really love that, the concept of connection and how strong that becomes through podcasting. What do you think underpins that sense of connection? Because in the same way that I, you know, basically told you just then about this like lonely time, not, not, not lonely, it wasn't a terrible time, but I was quite isolated and I was away in a different country and these people that didn't know me but I kind of knew them they were with me they were with me when I was like sweeping up the you know the mess that the kids made or they were with me when I was in the bath and I was having some me time and chill out you know chilling out or they they were wherever they were with me um and I feel like you go with people where they are because you're in their phone and they literally put you inside their head. They put the earphones into their head and you're talking to them. And my podcast does, it is my litmus test, I guess, is would I have this conversation with you at the pub? It's, you know, if we sat around a table, we've got our knitting, what are we talking about? That's the the premise of my show and that's my test of well would we talk about this around the the pub table and if we will then then fair game let's do it and people listen to me when they're cross-country skiing in Denmark and send me pictures of it they listen to me when they're driving the biggest ore trains in the world in Australia and send me pictures of it Mm. and I think because I've created very consciously always been 
me and very real with them they feel like they can do that because they feel like we're friends yeah and, and that's where the genuine connection comes from is because I am genuinely interested in them and I do care about them and I do look at what they're knitting because they're my friends as well like I consider them to be my extended knitty friends so oh yeah that that really comes across actually in the episodes that I've listened to is it I feel almost a part of the community and I, I don't knit. So it's a, it's a really <laughs> I have a surprising number of non-knitters, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just so interesting to listen to. It's lovely. Um, so how, how did it grow from, from those early beginnings? How did, how did you manage to keep the podcast going? And how did you keep it sort of moving through the changes in your life from that point? Um, it was tricky because I've moved house a lot. Mm. Um, but that's another episode for you right every time you move <laughs> places another episode and it's been it started in South Africa and it has lived in Lincolnshire, Fife, Murray, the northwest, another place in the northwest and it's going to be living in China from December so wow. it's lived in a lot of places and that can be challenging when you're moving house and you've got all this content and you want to get everything out there and you've got all these ideas and it's all mm. got to link back into your business and it's got to do this, it's got to do that. There are so many shirts, right? There are so many shirts. And I think the main thing is, is to keep talking about things that you are actually interested in, that you enjoy talking about and not get too caught up in what you should or shouldn't be talking about. Right. And that just keeps it quite natural and easy. It doesn't feel like it's a big thing. It doesn't feel like sometimes when you write a blog and you're like, it needs to be amazing. It's got to be this and it's got to be that. And, and then you can't start, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was about keeping it very natural to me and what I wanted to talk about and what I was interested in, which sounds very me focused, but it wasn't me talking about me necessarily. It was just like, I've noticed this thing in knitting. It's really cool because have you seen it? Yeah. Um, interviews are a really good way to do that as well, I find, because um, it's just a conversation with someone and your guests can bring a lot of really interesting things out. And again, it, it creates that round, round a pub table atmosphere of you feel like you sat there listening to these conversations. Um, and obviously there, there are kind of strategies you can use in terms of writing a content calendar so that you've got prompts or having a document where you can store ideas that you can draw from if you feel a bit stuck. Um, and, it, you know, I'm not perfect. There's been times where I've had months and months off the podcast because I've had stuff going on in my life and just not not felt like being around that pub table, you know, yeah, right. but... The downloads still happen even when you're not there and the people, your audience are still waiting when you come back and they just want to know where you've been and what you've been up to. Yeah, what a nice feeling. Mm, yeah, they're super. awesome. I love them. <laughs> I really do. Like, not in a cheesy way. It's like, I actually do. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And so how did the sort of business side of it come about? Because you, you said that you didn't start the podcast to promote a business necessarily. So how did that happen? Um, It was... <sighs> much as it annoys me <laughs> it was um, my husband's idea oh. um, I've been I just like I said I just started it for connections and every night we used to when when we had a little girl she's um well she's seven and a half now so she's not so little but we had for those uh, um of you parents will know you have they have this like mental witching hour at about yeah four or five o'clock so every day we used to just throw her in a buggy and we're like we're going for a walk because we don't want to listen to you making this noise 
uh, and we'd walk around where we lived, around the estate where we lived. It was always really sunny and warm, so it was awesome. And we'd just like talk about world domination and like ideas, just rubbish. We'd just talk about rubbish, basically. And I was rapping on about knitting as usual. And he said, oh, why don't you do this? Um, you should do like Virgin Wine Club, but for knitting. Mm. And I was like, oh, I like wine. Like, and I like, <laughs> like I, can see, I can see this working. And it was sort of kind of parked a little bit. And then it kind of developed into an idea where I wanted to start this yarn club because I've been discovering all of these different yarns and... I sent the idea to someone that I'd made friends with um, via Martine, who got me doing the podcast in the first place. Right. It all kind of weirdly came back in one big massive circle. And she's like, oh, that sounds awesome. I, I, you know, do you want a business partner? Let's, let's do this together. So we did. And when I moved back to the UK, we started a subscription club called The Golden Skein. The idea right. being that you, you have these really precious balls of wool that are one-offs and you kind of keep them because you don't want to spoil them mm. but actually it's not about spoiling them it's about using them and finding a new one to replace it and keeping that whole thing going yeah right. uh, so I ran that for three years and um I was I closed it because I was supposed to move to China two years ago and didn't I know um and obviously I couldn't really post things and deal with the logistics of that from there but I also found from doing the podcast, I was asked to do consulting on systems and project management because of my Air Force background. Um, so that's something I'm, you know, I'm really good at. And it sort of brought the two worlds together. And I'm just about to launch a multi-vendor marketplace. Wow. So I kind of moved from the subscription model with me finding the yarns because I loved these dyers, these hand dyers that were creating this yarn in the kitchens and in sheds and all over that I wanted to share with everyone. I've now built a platform where they can all be in one place, almost like an online yarn show is my vision for it so that people who can't go to yarn shows can find it and they can find new markets and, you know, get a bigger audience for themselves. So yeah. Yeah. What a super idea. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So it's a sort of a hub platform, effectively, where people who sell yarns can come, people who want to buy yarns can come, and yeah, everybody's there together. Yeah. And you're pulling them all together with your um, skills at community building, which sounds perfect. Yeah, I like. I do really like a party, Debbie. To be honest, like yeah. if if there's a, a, a chance of going to the pub, I'm like, let's go to the pub. You know, let's all <laughs> sit down, let's chat, let's. Who can I introduce you to? Like you get on with them. Like I love connecting people. So it really suits me to to be doing what I'm doing now because it, it's not it's not work. It's just really good fun. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a genius idea. When is the launch going to happen? Um, it's still in development at the moment. So I'm just getting my first vendors on there for beta testing. So I'm hoping it will be out this year. But as with all kind of software website launches, and it, you never really quite know until people start getting on the how it's going to work. Yeah. So I'm hoping it will be before Christmas, but I'm open to the fact that it might not be because I'm I'm also moving to China. Yes. And <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that too. So when you move to China, what impact do you think that will have on the podcast? What are your plans for that? Um, I'll just continue. Right. Just continue. It's And that's the beauty of podcasting is no matter how many times you move, and as you've heard, I've moved a lot and had my business through that whole time, or where you go to, as long as you've got that internet connection, you can carry on podcasting. And actually, content-wise, moving around a lot, it gives you bags of new content. Nobody else is talking about Chinese yarn shops in English 
on an yeah. audio podcast anywhere. So, it, you know, it's unique content, it's interesting, and it's back to that whole thing of sharing different stories from how people live in different areas. So, yeah, absolutely. It'll be fascinating, like mm-hmm. a completely fresh perspective and a fresh location. Yeah, super. So, when you look back on your podcasting history, what would you say have been your key achievements? So I think the, obviously I won two awards for the podcast and that is pretty awesome. But my favourite of those was for the most engaged audience in 2015, because I really feel like that recognised my audience as well for being how awesome they are, because they, they're they friends with each other as well. They talk to me, we all help each other. We meet up in real life, like they are really, really, I'm very, very lucky. And I never take the fact that I have such an awesome audience for granted because mm. they choose to listen to me and let me into their lives. And that is a privilege. And it's one that should never be kind of taken for granted. So I was really, really happy with that because I felt like we'd all done it together and it was really exciting. Oh. And it was a, a national kind of award. So there were all these like business and marketing and sales <laughs> podcasts and money podcasts. And it was all like serious. And then the knitters turn up and sweep the board. It's just like the knitters are here, boys. Knitters are here. <laughs> and it's now a bit of a running joke because there was another friend of mine who has an audio knitting podcast. And she won one award and I won the other one. And then it became a thing. It's like, oh, no, then the knitters come in. No chance of the knitters coming. So... That was really, really good. Yeah, what a great testament um, to your community as well. And to kind of explore that a bit, um, aside from sharing the podcast, and I know how much hard work goes into that, um, (laughs) what else do you need to do to kind of nurture that sense of community? The main thing is to actually give a monkeys. You know, Mm. I feel like nowadays it can be a thing of like, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to, build my authority and I'm going to, you know, have this audience and I'm going to convert them all. And, you know, my business is going to be amazing because of it. And all of those things can absolutely happen as a result of having a podcast. And that's certainly been my experience. But I think if you want engagement, you've got to be engaging and you've got to be that person that goes and starts conversations and that shows an interest and that comments on people's, um, projects that they put on Instagram that replies to every message that shows up when you say you're going to show up and you treat people like the VIPs that they are because it's all one and good recording this amazing podcast that's going to set your business on fire but if no one listens to it it may as well be shouting into the void Mm. and the only way to keep people coming back and to make them feel part of something and to make them go and do that marketing for you is to re- to love on them, like literally spoil them, treat them like they are your million pound customer, every single one of them. Treat them like they are your best friends yeah. because they should be. It, like I said, it's a privilege. And that's the number one way that I find to build my audience and create community is literally you've got to go do the work. You've got to go and introduce yourself and say hello and show an interest in them and what they're doing and be genuine about it. And if you do... You you don't need to sit there tweeting 50 million times a day because they'll do it for you. They'll tell the friends, they'll share your podcast. 
and you don't even that is your marketing you know so yeah and it's always you never know what's going to happen when you speak to somebody else and engage with other people and that's what makes it so interesting I think definitely I heard an episode actually where you described how um, knitting seems to cut across society so you get people who do all sorts of different jobs from all sorts of different places and they're united in this common passion Um, do you think podcasting plays a sort of unique role in uniting people around niche interests or you know special interests that is an awesome question I would have to say yes I would have to say yes I think audio is a really intimate form of communication and like I said before you literally put these people into your head you know you're not watching them on a screen feet away they're in your ears and I feel like that coupled with the fact that it's quite a democratized form of communication I mean nowadays you can even record a pretty decent podcast with your phone and a decent headset and you know like good enough certainly good enough compared to when I started like (laughs) um and the iPad had been out two years when I started my podcast so you can imagine now like I had a Blackberry can you imagine I had a Blackberry (laughs) I don't think it even had a color screen it had a green screen when I started it like it's that long ago um because it's so democratized and so easy now, you can talk about whatever you want. Like I could even go into the subset niches of knitting and trust me, there are some (laughs) and talk about that one specific thing. And like we have on demand television now and Netflix where we can go and choose exactly what we want to listen at any one point in time, that allows you to create that very specific programming via whatever medium for the people that are really interested in what you do. And the power of that as a podcaster is you're getting your proper geeks. And I say that in the fondest and best possible way because the geeks, and I absolutely consider myself to be a knitting geek amongst some other thing geeks, (laughs) the geeks are the ones who will travel five, six, seven hours on a train. They'll fly across the actual globe to turn up to an event and be around other people who are like them. That's not an ordinary audience. That's why my audience is so awesome. And that's why other niche audiences are so awesome is because they'll go that far. Like your Trekkies will get dressed up and go to Comic-Con. Like your Harry Potter fans will knit an incredibly long scarf if they're a knitter as well. And really embrace that whole thing to be around people like them. So I really feel like podcasting, that is one of its really big strengths is the intimacy of the way you communicate and also the fact you can create something that is very very specific to a niche audience yeah absolutely and you know there's so much advice around saying don't be afraid to niche down or niche down depending on please people (laughs) but yeah and I think it's true it's like you know I I find I love your podcast content and I don't knit like I said earlier and I think you know clearly your core community will always be the people who are united by their their common love of of that subject Um, but it's fascinating how interesting that is to other people too and I think it helps to spread some insight that there are so many different things out there there's always something new that you can go and you know just listen to it first before you even invest anything in it and you know see what you think so yeah it's a it's a super way to reach out when you first started out you had a friend who kind of dared you to podcast <laughs> how- I have great friends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is brilliant um do, have you taken a lot of advice about how to podcast or has your approach been to sort of learn as you go it was very much a kind of learn as you go 
sort of thing. And it was, I didn't really think too hard about it, about formats or about anything else. Like I'd listened to a few, there were maybe four or five podcasts going when I started, certainly not the level that there are now. And I hadn't listened to any other genre of podcast. And I haven't and still don't (laughs) take much advice on podcasting from anyone. (laughs) Because a lot of people who are talking about podcasting are business people who are podcasting for a very specific business purpose. And it can be that thing. And I've had this conversation a number of times, mostly with women, about the concept of value and how it's got to be so long, but not that long. And about this, but not about that. And evergreen, but current affairs. And, and, and. And again, it comes back to that shoulds thing and comes back to what I said about you can make whatever you want for the audience that you have. And there are no shoulds because like, I listen to different podcasts. Like I listen to Amy Porterfield's Online Marketing Made Easy podcast, right? Mm-hmm. But you, like, you're not listening to that when you're just chilling and are you busy? Like it's a commitment because she's going to teach you some stuff and you're going to have to write it down. Like you need to make notes because it is that good. Like, so that's might be what you consider to be value. But I know some of my listeners listen when they're up at three in the morning feeding a baby, Mm. right? They don't want me to like hammer them with loads of stuff they need to write down. They just don't want to be on their own. They just want, you know, just someone sat there with them when it's dark and something to do to kind of pass that time. I mean, I've been there. I've been, I have my favorite podcast from when I was sat there at night for hours. Value in those two situations is very different. And so there are no set ways to do things. But the problem with that becomes you just want to know what to do so you don't do it wrong. And nobody will tell you an answer because there are no answers. That is the answer is it depends on your audience. So it can be really hard. Now, if it comes to... Uh, equipment, equipment, absolutely. I go to Colin Gray, the podcast host, every time. Oh. He does the best equipment reviews on everything. He's like the geeky yin to my yang. I'm like, oh, community audience, yay, let's hug everyone. And he's like, oh, new microphone. <laughs> um, so I always send people to, he's lovely, he's a great guy and he knows his stuff inside out. Like, he's amazing. Um, but that, again, it comes back to that thing of, is, is I don't believe there is any one answer for this other than, what do you what what do your people want? Like is that whole customer listener avatar thing? What do they believe in? What do they want? What can you talk about and bring value? What you've got experience in, and what's that kind of magic area in the middle? Yeah, and trying to keep towards that and make a promise to your listeners. Like, what's your listener promise? And my listener promise is it's always going to be fun. It's going to be lighthearted. It's going to be irreverent, and it's going to be like we're at the pub. That's my promise. Amy Porterfield's promise is it's going to be like a mini training session, Mm. you know? So think about what your promise is and stick to that as your compass would be my advice and just ignore anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) Unless you want microphone reviews, of course. So Yeah, I really love that concept, actually. I'm I'm almost visualising it like a Venn diagram, you know, the things that you... It's a totally totally a a woolly Venn diagram. A knitted Venn diagram. There's probably a pattern for that. I like not even exaggerating, there will be. Probably a crochet pattern. The crocheters are much better at kind of irony in in the the fibre art, so... Oh, really? That's so interesting. So... They really are. Do different personality types of people get drawn to different sort of genres of knitting, then? Oh, I think so. Totally. There's definitely cultures and subcultures, but when it comes, because I love funny knitting patterns, 
and when it comes to definitely when it comes to being a little bit irreverent and sarcastic and uh, it's definitely the crocheters that make the best they make little 3d patterns for things amigurumi wow. patterns and they are so funny <laughs> they are way funnier than the knitters who can sometimes take themselves quite seriously oh, so <laughs> I see that's that's really insightful and oh. I didn't realize that was the case mm-hmm. so um you've shared such a lot of advice I feel like um anything I'll ask you now uh, I'll be asking you to go back over something but it's been like such a value packed conversation um if you were to distill it down to a piece of advice for someone who is really keen to get going and has kind of been thinking about it for a while what would your piece of advice be my piece of advice would be to focus in on your audience and one quote that I always kind of give to people as an example is my infamous pickled onion monster munch quote. Mm. So, you know, pickled onion monster munch, the crisps. Yes. Did you have them when you were a kid? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, totally. They were my favourite. I didn't really like the roast beef ones, to be honest, but pickled onion were my favourite, right? But pickled onion monster munch, right? You know what you're buying when you get them you know that you're going to cut the roof of your mouth when you're eating them. You know it's going to sting. You know it's going to sting your fingers. Like, you know you're going to smell of vinegar for a while afterwards. Um, And it's going to be quite messy compared to ordinary crisps. But you know what you're getting. You're buying it because of that experience. Even though there are other less, you know, scary experiences than that, you know what you're getting. And you love it for that. So... B, don't be plain. Nobody likes ready salted crisps. They're called plain crisps for a reason. They're not that interesting. (laughs) Don't be afraid to be the pickled onion monster munch of your genre or whatever you're doing. Lean lean in. Lean into the pickled onion monster munch. has got to be the best management quote ever. But (laughs) just be more pickled onion. Be whatever flavour you are and don't be tempted to become the plain crisps, basically. That is fantastic advice and beautifully described because I've got such a clear picture in my mind of pickled onion monster munch. Oh, no, so I, I really want to get a grab bag now and like, double down on this experience. Not an ordinary size, I want 50 grams. <laughs> yeah, you and me both will be crunching monster munch within totally. half an hour. Yeah, fantastic. So, uh, kind of my final question. What does it mean to you to be a bigger fish? I guess it means being a grab bag size version of, of your of your monster munch really like I, I feel like I kind of preempted that question a little bit um because it's it's easy isn't it it's easy to be a little fish and it's safe to be a little fish and there's nothing wrong with little fishes um but in the same way that a golden skin is not fulfilling its potential by being beautiful and being kept in a box neither are little fishes so allow yourself to become a bigger fish and don't let things that are a little bit frightening stop you from doing that Mm. yeah perfect thank you i've so enjoyed speaking with you it's been amazing conversation so joe where can people find you so the best place to find me online is at my website, which is shinybees.com. Mm-hmm. And I am shinybees on iTunes as well, if you want to go and listen to the podcast there directly. And I'm shinybees on everything else as well, because shinybees is not one of those names that people want. So yeah, perfect. Um, you can find me hanging around on Instagram mostly. Okay, that's super. Thank you. Cool. Okay, right. Well, have a lovely day. Yeah, All you right, too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 
I'd like to say another huge thank you to Jo for sharing all of that insight and her wonderful experience. Really, she's such a warm character to speak to. It was a fabulous conversation. I'd also like to wish Jo the very best of luck with all her future business endeavours. There's plenty more advice and different types of experience yet to come on Be A Bigger Fish. So I hope you'll subscribe and keep listening as those stories unfold. If you want to find out more about us, or if you want to find those links to Joe's website, visit beabiggerfish.net and you'll find the show notes to this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It's great to have you with us and have a great day.